Kyle Brandt's Basement is brought to you by Caesar Sportsbook. Welcome to Kyle Brandt's Basement. Guys, we're going to get right to it today. I know that a lot of people obviously are big NFL fans watching right now. And I know we have a lot in Buffalo. A lot of Bills Mafia are here and we love you and we thank you. Three minutes ago at Buffalo Bills, the official account tweeted, Von Miller is out for the rest of the season. It was discovered he had an ACL tear during exploratory surgery. That's a bombshell. That is a massive, massive piece of news and a devastating gut punch for anybody interested in the Buffalo Bills, excited about the Buffalo Bills as I am. Von's out. Von is out. There will not be a Von playoff push. All these visions of Von sacking Mahomes or sacking Burrow in a playoff game in January are gone. If the Buffalo Bills are going to win the Super Bowl, they're going to do it without Von Miller, who was brought in expressly to help them win a Super Bowl, which he has done twice with two different teams. Surprising news. So we had thought maybe he avoided the cataclysmic injury and um, he's going to sit on the shelf for a while. That's okay because he's going to come back in a matter of weeks and then we'll just have him. And look, the Bills were a really good team last year. They were going to be a really good team this year without Von Miller. Von Miller was essentially brought in to make a few plays. A few plays throughout the season, sure. We don't need you to be Reggie White. Come in and make a couple of plays in January and help us win a Super Bowl. That's what we need you for. We need that one extra push. And that push will not be there. So it's too bad. Too bad he was going to play an interesting part in the whole AFC playoffs. He's one of the OGs, one of the godfathers, one of the guys you got to look out for. Also, he this year was attempting to do this thing that's just so rarely been done. I think it's Matt Millen is the only player to win a Super Bowl with three different franchises, and this would have been it. So um, listen, I said this when Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt. Different statue of player. But it's a terrible thing for San Francisco. It is a a positive development, callous as it may sound, for the Eagles, for the Cowboys, for all these other NFC teams who are looking at San Francisco as, man, they're going to be really tough out. Look, the Bengals don't have to deal with this anymore. The Chiefs don't have to deal with it. The Dolphins, the Jets, who the hell knows? That is one of the all-time quarterback killers who will not be on the field in January for the Buffalo Bills. It's just tough, tough for the Bills. But I say this a lot. It is... It is deflating. It is not season-ending. The Bills last year were, as we know very well, 13 seconds away from beating the Kansas City Chiefs, and Arrowhead Von Miller was not part of that team. This team does not need Von Miller to win a Super Bowl. Helps. Helps a lot. But last year, they were without their best cover corner in Trey White, and they were still there at the precipice of trying to do what they were going to do. Really, really tough. And it's difficult, too, because... He's got the torn ACL, so he'll have surgery on that, and it's so damn late in the season, then you think, all right, well, when's he going to be ready to be Von Miller? 2024 are we talking about here? And at that point, he's getting much older. It's tough because they spent a lot of money on him, a lot of money to convince him to come to Buffalo and to leave the Rams, and it looked like the right move. And that money was January money. That money was we – we think we got a great team here, Von. I think with you – we are really hedging our bet and getting to the Super Bowl, and we're going to get through this crazy AFC this year. Gone. Gone. Tough, tough news. Um, you know, Josh comes on every Tuesday, and I remember early on when 
the season was just starting and the first game for the Bills was against the Rams, uh, Vaughn's former team. And he was great in that game and he was a wrecker and he was beating the tackles and he was getting to Stafford and Josh was telling us about just that he's he's the guy. He's the Obi-Wan Kenobi in, in the locker room and that he sets a tone of excellence and experience and he has told us a bunch of times how Vaughn's thing with the team was that he said the season is is like an album and every week is a different track on the album and he was re- every time he would get together with the team each week he would say what this week's track was and maybe it was to get us really hyped up or maybe it was to stop us to think about themselves or the certain track was to to calm ourselves down or have perspective and I'll never forget uh, when they lost <clears throat> two games in a row they lost to the Jets they lost to the Vikings the Bills and they were you know, it was, it was, it was ugly for a little bit. And, you know, Josh was pissed and he wasn't playing very well and he was making some mistakes and no one was really playing well. And after that Vikings loss, it was like, oh my God, what are we supposed to do with ourselves? We just lost at home to Kirk Cousins and crazy circumstances. And Vaughn goes to meet with the media afterwards. He just goes, we're six and three. You know, everybody relax. We just got to remember we're, we're a very good team. We have a six and three record. Yeah, we've lost a couple games. Every Super Bowl team does. That's just how it works. I won two of these things. I don't remember going undefeated. So he had this air of levity about himself that was, uh, I think, really contagious. And that was part of the reason you brought him in. And he'll still have that. He'll still have that presence. He'll still be a leadership uh, role. But, man, when it's third and 12 and they're playing the Chiefs in the playoffs, you want Vaughn out there. Tough, tough loss. I would not try to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to patronize Bills fans and say, you know, this could be a motivational thing. Sure. Guy's a killer. He's making a lot of money to win January football games with Buffalo. And it was just a sucker punch, too, because, you know, he got banged up. But if you've been following the headlines like I have, it all seems to be encouraging that it wasn't a serious injury. He will be back. And it's all right, fine. Who cares? He got banged up for a few weeks. We can tread water without Von Miller for a little while. Done. Done for the year. Torn ACL. Just absolutely sucks. It's really good. If you're out there and you're an AFC fan, you're one of these teams, who the hell knows? Baltimore, Cincinnati, certainly Kansas City, Titans. I don't know. It doesn't matter. There's no Von Miller to have to worry about. It's probably a positive day for you. You don't hope for him to get hurt and you hope he heals up, but you want your team to win. It's going to be easier now. There's no way way around it. Every time we've talked to Josh here about Vaughn, it's always, oh, he's the man, he's leadership, he's incredible, what a great player. Von Miller is one of the all-time greatest pass rushers. The injury gods are cruel, and they demand sacrifice. There is no other way around this just to say this absolutely sucks. Buffalo's season is not over. Buffalo could very likely win the Super Bowl without him. They are loaded. They have great players all around it. No one ever said it was going to be easy, right? Tough, 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 tough loss. Let's have a show, though. Let's get to what I love, what I hate, and what's hilarious. We move on. You guys know this. I talk about it all the time. Maybe I should stop doing it. I'm a fan of Baker Mayfield. I like the way he handles himself. I love him back from college. I love the way he took the Cleveland Browns through the playoffs and beat the Steelers. That actually happened. The Browns were beating the Steelers and competing with the Chiefs in a playoff game. Their quarterback was Baker Mayfield. I love that he's going to get a shot with the Rams. I was on here yesterday hoping he would get a real shot with the 49ers. This is intriguing as hell, though, with the Rams. One, a couple questions here. One, is he going to play tomorrow night? <laughs> There's these whispers that he might actually start for the Rams on Thursday night when he's been a Ram for 48 hours. Um, 
is this just going to be a few games and it's going to be this bizarre period where Baker Mayfield was in a Rams jersey wearing number 17? Or is this could this have a future? I would say Matthew Stafford's future is murky as the Rams quarterback. Some very, very dark injuries this year. He's had concussion stuff. He's had back stuff. You know, he's a family man with a wife and a bunch of daughters. His wife is very outspoken and concerned for his health. Could he hang it up after this year? Maybe. And then is Baker Mayfield going to be the guy taking the keys from Sean McVay and throwing to Cooper Cup? That'd be crazy. Is Sean McVay even back next year? This is a disastrous season for him. He has a million options in media, as always. Don't know. And is Baker Mayfield going to be the guy? Here's my inspiration if I was to tell Baker. Here's who you want to be, man. You are the fastest number one overall pick quarterback in history to get to a third team. Faster than Sam Bradford, who had it. By the way, another Oklahoma guy who won the Heisman. You're the fastest ever. You know who you want to be? You, you want to be Carson Palmer. Carson Palmer, number one overall pick quarterback. Another Heisman winner. Cincinnati did some good things, kind of like Baker did in Cleveland. It just kind of didn't work out in the end. Second stop for Carson Palmer. Remember when he was a Raider? He was miserable. He hated it. He wanted to retire. So that's the second stop. That, that's Carolina for, for, for uh, Baker Mayfield. Remember the third stop for Carson Palmer? Number one overall pick quarterback, he was an Arizona Cardinal. It was fantastic. Got the right coach, got the right players around him. Totally refreshed vibe. Moves to the West. Blows up. Damn near took a run at a Super Bowl. Was really, really good. Played the best football of his career. That should be what Baker Mayfield is trying to do. I can't give up on the guy. I can't. And there's guys who have done it. Jim Plunkett, another number one overall pick quarterback, who get his third stop and made it work. It's rare. Two teams said, I want nothing to do with you anymore. You got to go. But it can happen. Baker Mayfield, I am unapologetically a fan of you. I'm one of the only people watching, listening in my zip code, maybe in this country anymore, who's like, yeah, Baker. But I guess Sean McVay likes him. I guess Les Snead likes him. And I like him. Carson Palmer is going to be your guy. You can happen on the third stop. Get in the right spot. Start chucking that thing around. We'll see what happens. I'm happy for Baker. Let's get, though, to what I hate. Come on. So you hear the evil rock music, and you see the angry font, and me with the karate suit and everything. It seems like a very angry segment, what I hate, but this... This particular portion of the program makes me giggle. It makes me laugh. I'll tell you why. I hate this very tired obsessiveness with sports reporters trying to be first. First, 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 first. And we have had um, <laughs> rock bottom for sports journalists trying to be first in breaking a story. You have this whale. This, this Moby Dick, this once in a decade, maybe once in a quarter century story with the biggest, best player on the biggest team in your sport, and he's signing the biggest contract ever. But with who? Who knows? It could be this team. It could be this team. It's the Aaron Judge situation. It feels a little bit like LeBron when he first went from the Cavs to Miami. It's a big deal. There are a lot of big heavy hitters waiting to try to break this news and fighting for it. So if it's that big a deal, and this could be the biggest story for the rest of your career, the biggest story so far in your career, and if you're one of these people on the front lines who might be breaking it, who might be the very first to thumb out your little tweet and say the news and just watch the likes and retweets go crazy and get intoxicated on it, you damn well better be right. You have to. You have, have to be right or no one will ever care if you're right again. Case in point, 
Uh, John Heyman. John Heyman is a baseball writer. He's been in the game a long time. Uh, Sports Illustrated, New York Post. I came across him years ago. Um, he used to work for a, he's MLB Network guy. He used to come on Jim Rome is Burning, which I was a producer on. Um, and he would come and be a panelist. He was at SI for a long time. He's at MLB Network now. And I, I, my experiences with him were fine. Didn't have a lot of interaction. Have nothing really to add, add about him other than he showed up and did his work. Tweets yesterday. This is an incredible, this is an all-time tweet. Tweets yes. oh my God, I broke the news. John Heyman tweets, 2.20 p.m., December 6, 2022. Arson Judge appears headed to Giants. Oh my, wait a second. Arson Judge? This dude had the, the typo or the autocorrect on Aaron Judge and not only snipered his name and messed it up, turned his name into a crime. <laughs> Arson Judge appears headed to Giants. But you know what? Oh well. It, it happens. Biggest people in the in the envy industry sometimes mistype and then they press tweet and oh darn I messed up his name. You know what I mean, Aaron Judge. But he's going to the Giants. So either way, guys, Arson, Aaron, ha ha ha. He's going to the San Francisco Giants. It's a huge deal. It's a California guy coming home. I broke the story. Incredible. Bravo to me, pop the Dom. I don't care about the typo. I broke it. I'm the one who caught Moby Dick. Uh-oh. Hold on a second. Three minutes later, wait a second, he says, you know what? I should probably fix it. Aaron Judge appears at the Giants. Now I feel better. Now pop the Dom. This is not going to be what they remember me for. They're not going to remember the typo. Aaron Judge, fine. Okay? A lot of quote tweets for that, but still, he's going to the Giants. I did it. It's not this person and that person. Me. This is what they're going to remember me for. Someday when I go into the Hall of Fame, they're going to put up this tweet that, man, remember back in 2022, Heyman broke it first. Man, he must really work his sources. He must really have someone who trusts him in the judge camp or the Giants camp. But congratulations. Everyone's talking about you for five seconds and everyone's retweeting you and you see the numbers. You nailed it. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, an hour later, this had to be fun. John Heyman, Giants say they have not heard on Aaron Judge. My apologies for jumping the gun. Come on, man. How, how is that ever possible? And that goes from, that's the tweet they're going to remember you for, that Aaron Judge goes to the Giants, to this is the tweet they're going to remember you for. How do you mess that up? Let's get into the timeline, first of all. The Arson Judge tweet, which is an all-timer, and Aaron Judge is now just known as Arson Judge. It is a thing that it's going to go on that will never go away. You think this will stick to Heyman? Aaron Judge is going to be called Arson Judge for years. It's all anybody's doing. That joke will never stop. It's too perfect. The the typo was too relatable, and that he didn't you know switch the R and one of the A's and mistype it. He turned his name into what, it, what you do when you burn your house down to commit insurance fraud or you burn your bar down and you're in Goodfellas. Arson Judge, okay? It took him three minutes to go back and change it to Aaron Judge. Three minutes? Haven't you ever sent a tweet and you mess something up or you say, the number, ah, damn, delete, 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 immediately. You, you know it, especially if you're invested in something this big. You look at it and you're... It took him that, do you know how long three minutes is in the Twitter world of breaking news? It's three days, three minutes to replace it. 
And then an hour later, actually, you know that whole thing I said about he's going to the Giants? He's not going to the Giants. I jumped the gun. That, you jumped the gun just to be first. You had to do it. And here's the thing. Nobody gives a crap or remembers who was first. It's just they, they, don't, they don't care about John Heyman. They care about Arson Judge. And they care about the Yankees and the Giants. But this thing with this being first has gotten so drunk on itself. And it's so, it's, it's, it's the, only the people who are doing it give a crap who was first. No matter what sport you're talking about. Because then, of course, this morning, John Heyman comes out with another tweet. And we know the news broke, like kind of mid-morning this morning, Eastern Time. Can you imagine how he felt writing this tweet? Judge is returning to Yankees. 360 million, nine years. Deal not official, but we'll get done. At John Morosi first. And look at the phrasing in the last part. At John Morosi, one ST. He didn't even say, uh, John Morosi had the story first. Or, you know, colleague John Morosi originally reported the story. John Morosi first. It is the most... What is the least possible acknowledgement I can give to it? I don't even write the word first, F-I-R-S-T. I don't even want to spend the characters at John Morosi first. I'm actually surprised that he added him, that he added him, that it, he didn't just write his name without it. Um, it's such a laughable mistake. And I, I take no pleasure in, in laughing at John Hammond. and I have no relationship with him. He's just the, playing the lead role in this very funny story. I guess it could have been somebody else, but it's him and it's his fault. And he doesn't deserve to be crucified for it. But damn well, we're going to have a laugh about it for a day or a week or a year or a decade. I'm choosing my day. Another question for, for John Hammond. How do you go from Aaron Judge to Arson Judge? Like, your phone does not change Aaron into Arson. I even tried it. I'm sitting around my phone this morning. I go to the Twitter app. I tried it on text. And I tried to type the word Aaron. It's not suggesting Arson. Why would it? I bet if I typed arson, it would suggest Aaron. Or is it getting smart on Heyman's phone is see someone who often texts or tweets about arson? Is, is he into arson or is he watchful of arson? Because then they're like, his phone's like, oh, the boss man's tweeting about, about arson again. He doesn't mean Aaron. Certainly he means arson. That's his usual MO. What is that? I don't understand how it even got to arson from Aaron. What is the origin story there? I mean, I, I text or tweet the name Aaron all the time because Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Donald, the Aaron whoever, I have two friends named Aaron in my, the arson thing doesn't happen. Never once if I'm tweeting Aaron Rodgers throws a touchdown or Aaron Donald's a bad dude, does my phone suggest that it goes to arson? It's one of the most bizarre subcategories of this thing is that Sure, he did it so fast that he didn't even bother to look that he misspelled the biggest Yankees contract of all time's name. But why is it arson to begin with? Um, I remember some of the t one of the times that it first blew up this I gotta be first on Twitter thing. And if you watch sports media really closely, I know some of you do will remember Rick Riley, who had previously been the back page columnist on SI when SI Magazine was a massive deal and everybody's dad read Rick Riley's column every single issue and laughed out loud sitting there before they rested their eyes for a nap. And Rick Riley was on, uh, I think it was Monday Night Football on ESPN. He was at a desk 
and they were coming out of commercial, and I believe Stuart Scott was the anchor. But as they're coming out of commercial, Stu Scott is about to announce some news, and they you know five, four, three, and they go, and Rick Riley on live TV says, "Tell him I had it on Twitter first. He's saying to, to to the anchor, "Tell him I had it on Twitter first, and that goes out over the air, and everyone's like, "Oh, how obnoxious! Like you really needed it that badly." He did. He felt that that was validation. I think probably especially from someone from an older generation who feels like the younger audience, they want to stay young and stay relevant and be on social media with them. Um, but the problem, though, is the credibility. And in a way, I sympathize with the human being, John Him, because he has to go about doing his job now. And eventually he will have some news that he wants to break, that it will be accurate, and he'll tweet it and it'll just be nothing but jokes. Nothing but Mr. Rogers putting on the clown mask gif or nothing of jokes about arson uh arson judge uh, it's just so funny to me that he would do that and i remember jay glazer back in the day i have a lot of memories of this because i've been in sports media now since 2007 jay glazer was killing it for a while he still is in a different way but brett Favre retired from the packers and glazer broke the news and that was a bombshell that was so 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 big um I'm trying to remember what it was. I don't know if he retired after the Packers or before the Jets. Remember, Brett Favre was off and on retiring. His first big one where he said, I'm done, I'm retiring. Glazer reported it. And he came on the show. I was working with Jim Rome at the time, and he was talking about And Rome was like, for a story like that, you know, you got to really make sure you're right, right? And he's like, yeah, you better believe it. I'm walking around the airport talking to 50 different people, sending 100 different texts, and most of them are, are you sure, are you sure, are you sure, 100%, 100%. And everybody wanted the Brett Favre story because there were all those rumors. But he wouldn't do it. You'd rather lose to Schefter or whoever rather than be the guy who comes out and says, yeah, Brett Favre is retiring only for six minutes later. Actually, he's not retiring. It's just it's this, this incredible lure to the light that you have to be first for what what is the draw there internet fame click numbers i guess it makes your bosses happy but your bosses are pissed off when their reporter reports the wrong thing so you can't do it you can't unless you're like i would bet my life i trust my source implicitly and what's funny is that between the arson judge, Aaron judge reporting, and then the double back, you know, someone from judge's camp or someone from the Giants is like, uh, John? Yeah, uh, he's not coming to the Giants. It's just so, the, the arson judge thing is the funny part. The wrong to the Giants thing is the serious part. I have a very, very small personal uh, way to relate to this. At last year's draft, I got to announce one of the Bills draft picks, and it was Terrell Bernard, a linebacker, from um, Baylor. So it was really fun. I got to announce it and made a big show of it. And then a few months later, when he initially signed his rookie deal, I got contacted by someone who works with this young player, Terrell Bernard from Baylor. And they said, hey, we thought it'd be fun if you released his contract terms because he just signed. And I go, oh man, all right. So they sent me the terms and the money and the years and everything. And I was so nervous about tweeting it because you got to do that ridiculous thing per source. the bills announced on and on. And I just was so worried about the wording. I was so worried that it was right, even though it was coming from someone who works with him. And I, sure enough, I tweeted it. I went to one of my friends, um, Mike Garofalo, who's a reporter for NFL Network and report stuff. And I go, can you just help me phrase this? I don't want to mess it up. 
Because one, I don't want to look stupid. I don't want the person who gave it to me to look stupid. And I also don't want to do it to Terrell Bernard that I messed up his contract thing. Just like you wouldn't want to do this to Arson Judge. <laughs> Is, doesn't any part of you sympathize with John Heyman? You may think he's some sort of boob or some. you just don't like him. I don't even know what the word is. Maybe you're rooting against them. Isn't there some part of you as a human being that sympathizes that in 20 years from now or 40 years, however long he's on this earth, he is still going to be hearing about Arson Judge? That's, that is never going away. Ever. Ever. He may break the next 70 stories and Arson Judge's kid, uh, Larceny Judge, in 30 years is going to be signing with half a billion dollar per year deal with the Mets. It doesn't matter. He's going to be arson judge for life. That is the life. That will be every single mention of every tweet he ever does. That's tough. I hope I never get there where I mess up so badly that you guys constantly ram me for one thing. I've already had to go through the real world thing and days of our lives and all that stuff, but I still have never had my arson judge moment. When I do, and I probably will, I'm pretty smart on Twitter, but when I do, just take it easy on me, right? John Heyman. Cheers to you, buddy. You broke the arson judge of the giant story and we'll never forgive you for it. Let's move on, though, to what's hilarious. A kid's birthday parties are hilarious. Uh, this is going to hopefully be relatable to you. If you live in wherever you may be, and if you got kids who are under 12, let's say, and you see other parents in town at the grocery store or at a sports practice or whatever, you could kind of tell a vibe on a parent when it's their kid's birthday party day. It is a very important, very taxing, tolling, potentially expensive day where you're like, all right, man, this is your day. It's nothing for me. To me, it's just a Saturday. To that guy over there, it's just a Saturday. But for you, it's Super Bowl. It's game day. Because you are hosting somewhere between 10 and 25 third graders. And it might be at a roller rink. It might be at a slime factory store. And it might be at your damn house. And it's like that. their person's body language is like they're on. They're kind of running. They're, they're short. They're a little tense. They got a checklist in their head. It is a big day, and I see it on people, and I know that my kid's going to their kid's birthday party later that day, and I'll see them in the morning at, you know, at Starbucks or something, I'll say, hey, big day, coming to your house, four o'clock. I heard the guy who brings the reptiles, the reptiles is good. He's got iguanas and snakes. I love that you hired him. I know it was a pretty penny, but we'll be there, man, we'll be there. And I was like, yeah, thanks, man. I'm ready, I'm carbo-loading. It's a big day. We had that day at the Brant House this past Saturday night. We had 17 third graders to my house, but more specifically to my driveway. And we, uh, we, went, we went big. Our son, this is what happens. One kid nails it with their birthday party, meaning whatever they choose to do for it. I mentioned reptile guy. In our town, there's a guy, a little bit younger kids. It's basically like the guy who brings things to pet, like guinea pigs or whatever a party you might have gone to, but he just brings reptiles. And there's just giant ass iguanas and there's this snake and that snake and the kids get scared but they touch it and they hold it. Reptile guy has a racket going around this town because if you have 15 kids at a party and they all like the reptile thing, then you got 15 moms or dads picking them up and you hand out the cards. So like the 
sort of pyramid scheme factor of it is you will get the derivative parties. We were a derivative party of video game truck guy. Now, what is video game truck? Maybe you've been into this, maybe you haven't. My son has been to two or three of these and all he's been talking about since then, my, he has a December birthday, so in the spring, in the summer, in the fall, I want a video game truck party, I want a video game truck party because he went to these other kids. Video game truck, let me just tell you about this, is it's like they bring you an arcade, sort of. Uh, this giant, giant trailer, it's not actually a tour bus, it's a trailer on the back of a large pickup truck. It, with a massive, it's got Mario on the side of it and Sonic and the kids see it pull up to the street and it's like Santa's sleigh is here and they're so excited. And they pull this thing either on the street in front of your house or in our case, um, the guy backed into the driveway. It was a great driver. And it's this huge trailer that maybe normally would keep horses or something. Things got to be 35 feet, maybe, maybe 40. And you get in there and one side of the truck, it's all open up inside and it's all cleaned out and it's uh, decorated and everything. One side of the truck is all monitors like this one, like giant TVs, ding, 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 like a sports bar, like there's probably eight of them. And then on the other side, facing the monitors, there's, there's these seats that go back up against the wall and there was like 18 seats. And it's not the arcade games that we played, it's not Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with joysticks or NBA Jam, it's just all gaming systems. So it's it's the PS5 and the latest Xbox and they got Switch and they got everything and they have every game in the world. And these kids just get on there and they find their seat and they say their game that they wanna play and then they just zone the hell out and eat uh, and drink and play and game and compete and talk crap to each other. And it's the easiest birthday party I've ever had, ever. Because they go on there and the two people who run the truck to kind of facilitate, they set you up, they say, hey buddy, I noticed you're not playing anything. Why don't you come on over here and try this game? They're really good. So my wife and I are just sitting out there, like just hanging in the front yard while normally like you're 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 wrangling and it's like you're bull riding or running from the bulls. Like you're you're doing some sort of animal experience with all these kids to keep them from getting hurt, from hitting each other, from crying, from touching things they shouldn't. It's an all hands on deck thing, and the parents are just dropping off. This is I'm at the age now, the parents aren't staying. This is drop-off party. Take my kid to see in two hours and get the hell out of here. So it's a lot of work to do the birthday party. Not this year. Got on the bus. We're just sitting around chilling because the kids don't even want to come out. They want to play video games for the next 56 hours. It was so fun, so easy, but almost too easy. So this is the story that I will tell. I love the video game truck party. I'm saying to, to Brooke, I'm like, yeah, we got pizza coming and we got cake, but it's almost like they're in there. They're just, they're not really interacting much. There's no cheering and fun. They're all just kind of playing Madden or playing Mario Kart or whatever. It's like a little calm. Like, let's, let's dial it up a little bit. Let's kick it up a notch. So I put on my producer hat and I thought, what could we do? I came up with this idea. We had to exit the, the bus for, um, for pizza. We had a, a predetermined pizza timeout in which they would get off the bus and go inside and have pizza. I go to the guys, the video game carnies, and I say, all right, here's what I want you to do. When they come back, I want you to turn off all the monitors except for the one right in the middle, the main event. I want you to pull up whatever is the most recent Mortal Kombat game. I want you to take us to the character select screen and I want you to take two controllers and put them down on the two seats right in front of the middle monitor. They're like, all right, I got you, I got you. Come back for pizza, that'll be set. I go in, the boys are having pizza and I say, boys, I got an announcement. 
you know, they're still pretty young and I put on my scary voice and they listen right away. Plus I coach many of them in flag football. So they look at me as a coach and they're listening. I say, all right, we had an announcement here. Um, after pizza, I am going to play Calvin, Calvin's my son, in a game called Mortal Kombat. And they're like, what's Mortal Kombat? What's Mortal Kombat? They're too young for Mortal Kombat. And I go, it's a fighting game. And they're like, oh, okay, okay. And I go, here's the deal. I've reached an arrangement with the video game truck. We're going to fight Calvin versus me. And if Calvin wins, you guys can keep playing video games and we'll have cake and you can do whatever you want. And clapping. If I win and if I beat Calvin in this fight, you're all going home and the party's over and I get to save some money. And they freak out. They, co- they totally believe it. It's obviously BS. Oh my God, oh my God, what is this game? Calvin, have you ever played this game before? And Calvin's like, no, I haven't played it. I haven't played it. I have no idea what it is. And I say, let's go. And we go outside, get in the truck. Guys have set it up perfectly. It's very dramatic. There's the two controllers. There's that very intoxicating but intimidating, you know, choose your fighter screen on the Mortal Kombat. And it's the modern Mortal Kombat, not the one I grew up playing. So it's like, graphics are crazy. So now these boys are nervous as hell, and I'm talking so much junk to them. I'm gonna call your parents, this thing's gonna be over in five minutes. Boys, it's three rounds, three round fight. Whoever wins two rounds wins the match. And so first they go to character select, and Calvin's scrolling through them, and all his friends are like, pick that guy, pick that guy. No, 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 he sucks, no, 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 pick it. And he ends up picking this Shao Kahn with like this giant axe or sledgehammer thing. He's got this helmet on, he looks like Satan. It's the scariest looking character ever. And I'm just leaning into being this, this heel of the birthday party. And the second he picks him, I'm like, oh, yeah, he's easy. I know all his weaknesses. I can beat him. And I pick. I go and pick Johnny Cage. Now, if you go way back with Mortal Kombat, you know Johnny Cage. Johnny Cage is this pretty boy, actor, jerk, arrogant as hell, knocks somebody out and then puts on sunglasses. And I pick him. And they're all like, boo. All the kids, boo, boo, boo. And so I'm like, oh, this is perfect. It's Johnny Cage versus this Satan with an axe. So I'm telling you, these kids were so nervous and so excited. It felt like, oh man, it felt like I was at like Lennox Lewis versus Mike Tyson. Like we're in Vegas for a big fight night, nervous. And they all thought they were going home. Like they completely believed it. So we got to do three rounds and I got a whole game plan in my head of how this is going to go. Calvin's never played before, but in the first round, he comes out swinging that axe, and I'm just taking him and taking him and taking, and he smashes me in the first round, and these kids are jumping, they're screaming, uh, they're, they're jumping on each other, they're, they're, they're turned up to a billion. Remember, it's also Christmas season, so they already have the adrenaline. Now, second round, daddy's turn. Daddy's turn in the second round. I beat the crap out of his character in the second round. I go back to my early days playing coin-op Mortal Kombat. I'm shooting the stuff. I'm doing the sweep, the leg kick. I'm jumping over him and kicking him in the back of the head. It was almost a flawless victory. Beat the crap out of his guy in the second round. And these kids are ashen. I'm talking about they are terrified. They are shook. And the second I dropped them, I spoke their language. I get up. I start doing the gritty. I'm dabbing. I'm doing all that dumb stuff. I'm saying, that's it. One more. Call the parents. I'm yelling out, Brooke, call their parents. Get them. I want their parents ready when I win this next round. Get them here. And they're like, no, no. And they're trying to give Calvin advice and all that. Start the third round. I get a few shots in early, and it looks like a wrap. These kids start grabbing my controller and trying to press the buttons. They're trying to sabotage the whole thing. And then pretty much Johnny Cage drops his hands a little bit. Calvin finishes. 
the strikes the final blow, which is, if you know Mortal Kombat, it's all slowed down and it's all graphic and half the guy's jaw drops off and it's extremely violent. I probably shouldn't have showed it to him. But the second I struck that final blow, the kids, it exploded. They jumped on Calvin like a dog pile. It was as if they had just won the World Cup, the World Series. It was so, you could hear that six blocks away. And Calvin has this huge smile on his face and they were saying, Calvin, Calvin, Calvin. And I, you know, I start screaming, no, I was robbed, I was robbed, you, I'll get you next time. And they're all screaming at me like I'm a WWE heel. Unbelievably fun. Uh, the video game guy trucks, the video game truck guys made it work. I would do it again in a second. It was so great. We asked Calvin afterwards, oh, what was your favorite part of the party? When I beat daddy in the fighting game. It was awesome. So, so, so great. Brings a smile to my face still. But um, great kids, great entertainment. Uh, we will always remember... I think his ninth birthday party is like the happiest one he had of his early on childhood. Until next year, maybe we'll beat it. I'll have to beat him in Call of Duty or something like that. But until then, Johnny Cage, I'll get you back next time. We got to move on. We got to go. Oh, perfect. Absolutely perfect. It's time for a family confessional. Let's go. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So this is where we purge. This is where we confess things. Like, I don't know, the time I had, I don't know, 18 third graders in and I played a wildly violent video game in front of them to get my jollies. No, something like that. We all do it, especially now. We talked about this a lot at Thanksgiving, but certainly more at Christmas. You do things that are sins. Not outright, you're not committing crimes, you're not committing adultery, but man, you do some embarrassing stuff as a child, as a brother, as a husband, as a parent. And a lot of times you just keep it to yourself. You don't want to text it to anybody because then the text might get seen. And you don't want to even talk about it sometimes because you're ashamed of it. This is a safe place to talk about it. Okay? Uh, we have your phone calls. You called the number 2524Brandt. 252, the number 4 Brandt. We have an actual answering machine here with tape in it. You leave messages. I listen to them and I respond. I just talked about the uh, birthday party with Mortal Kombat. I did a thing not one day ago. I'm talking about last evening. My wife had originally bought, again for the birthday party, the frosting and the cake mix and stuff to make the homemade cake. She ran out of time, she had to go to the store to buy a cake, so she has this whole bag of cake ingredients that's just been sitting there on the counter. I was doing some self-loathing yesterday, I was stressed, I felt like hurting myself in this sugary sense, so I opened up one of the frosting things, and it was this buttercream frosting, the Betty Crocker or something, and I started eating it like with my finger, and I ate pretty much the entire jar of frosting over like the next couple hours of just going back and back and back. I'm like, oh my God, I'm 43 years old and I just ate a jar of frosting. 
of not, not even ice cream, frosting. <laughs> and so I was so ashamed. And Brooke wouldn't really care, but my dignity was kicking. I didn't want her to know. And she was, so I had two problems. One, she was going to go through the groceries and be like, wasn't there another thing of frosting? But also, I, I threw it away, but I don't want her to see it in the garbage. She's going to come home, step on the little pedal that opens our garbage can and be like, who ate in, babe? Did you eat a whole thing of frosting? So I did the most shameful thing you can do is open it up. You reach down and you pull up like the epidermis, a couple layers of garbage, and you put it in the middle. Now, you don't want to put it all the way in the bottom because then when you take out the garbage bag, if she was to do it, you'd see it through the bottom because it's up against the plastic of the white garbage bag. You got to conceal it in the middle. And then also, you know, you, when you put it in the garbage can outside, if she happens to see that, it's still totally buried. The body is buried. You can't see it. It's a really pathetic thing to do. Not only the eating, but the concealing. The cover-up is always worse than the crime. So that would be mine. I should not have eaten a whole thing of frosting as an adult or any level, let alone tried to conceal the evidence. I did both. Question is, what did you guys do? Let's get you in here. We have some calls to get to. You filled up the answer machine. Let's get to a young lady who called us at 2524 Brandt. Her name is Alicia. Alicia, here's the message she left us. What would you like to confess on Family Confessional? Hey, Kyle. This is Alicia from Buffalo. Uh, So I have kind of a disappointing parenting moment, a failure, as I sort of looked at it. A few years ago, my son had lost a tooth and went through the motions, put it under the pillow, did the whole tooth fairy thing. He put the money in his piggy Mm -hmm. bank. A couple days later, he lost another one. And I am not somebody that often carries cash on me. And I realized (laughs) at 10 o'clock at night that I didn't have any cash on me. So I had to take the money from his piggy bank that I had given him a few days earlier to put under his pillow that night. And I felt Mm -hmm. awful at the time. I felt like the lowest of the low. But then after I thought about it, I wondered why I hadn't done that in the first place, just reuse the same money I gave him. I think about how much money I probably could have saved over (laughs) the course of the five to six years that he lost teeth. Just wanted to share that. Go Bills. Alicia, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. I have a lot of thoughts on this. My first one is a question. I wish we could clarify this. Are you saying that you reused the money from his piggy bank because you were in a pinch because at 10 o'clock you didn't have cash and then never added new money? So let's say, um, let's say, I don't know what, five bucks. Let's say you put a $5 bill under his, under his pillow and then he gets out and he puts the little $5 bill in his piggy bank, he folds it up. The next tooth, oh my God, I don't have any cash. What should we do? What should we do? Oh, ding, ding, light bulb. Very smart, in fact, innovative. I'll just go get the five bucks I know is in his piggy bank and I'll put it under his pillow. Oh, look, a $5 bill, another one, great. Slide in the piggy bank. You can't see what's in the piggy bank. It's it's solid, it's opaque. But at some point, Alicia, though, you have to <laughs> double back and put the new five in, right? So that when he opens the piggy bank eventually or breaks it like they would 50 years ago, he sees that there are multiple fives. You're not really saying that you would still just reset. I think you are actually, because you're saying how much money you would save. 
um, by just using the same five every single time. Maybe it's a five, maybe it's a one, maybe it's a 20. I don't know how you roll. I think at my house it's five. <laughs> but I here, I'm gonna see you halfway. Very smart idea in a pinch. I never have cash ever, never. I'm constantly going into my wife's wallet to be like, do you have any, do you have any? I gotta tip the pizza guy or something. I never have cash. So I relate to that part. And I think it's very innovative to grab the five and in a pinch though, but not as a solution. You can't do that. <laughs> I like, you're like, I'm thinking about the long-term financial ramifications. How many teeth does a kid lose in his life? 20? I, I don't even know. Let's say it's 25. So 25 times five bucks, that's 150 bucks, like $145 that you would save over this whole span of his losing teeth. If you want to save a buck 45 on it, I guess that's really important, but you, you got it. You got to go back and put the extra five in. What's he, what would he do when he eventually opens the piggy bank and is expecting to see, I don't know, 25 $5 bills and a sweet payday. And there's one measly, absolutely threadbare $5 bill because it's been ripped out of there under his pillow and put back in there 25 times. Alicia, I see you working and I only see it halfway. You use it as a replacement. You can't use it as a permanent reward. Gotta cuff up the bucks. I'm, I'm sorry, but you do, that's the way it works. Let's go to another caller. Alicia, what a devil. Thank you for the call though. If I understand you right, dastardly plan. Uh, another one, another Buffalonian in fact. Um, we can't really make out her name from what I write. I have not heard these messages. This is the first time I hear him. The staff listens to him and I understand it's tough to make out her name, but she is a Buffalonian. Let's see if we can figure it out together. Go ahead. Hey Kyle, this is Brand calling from Buffalo, New York. Go Bills. My mother, we were driving home from Buffalo in the 90s, or from, we were driving home in Buffalo in the 90s, and she huh? got into a fight with a few people after a snowstorm because we were driving home and these people came down one way and we were coming the other way, but they hadn't plowed both sides of the street. Sure. So for whatever reason, these people thought that they could squeeze through, but they couldn't. So we both sure. got stuck. And then my mom was hammered and she was standing at the back of our car because I had been driving and I was looking in the rear view and I looked away and I looked back and her and this woman were gone. So I get out of the car and my mom had tackled this woman into a snowbank. It was the most insane thing I've ever experienced in my life. Wow. All right. Well, that's what a cliffhanger. I think her name was Bryn. Um... Bran, Bryn, Bryn, thank you for the call. Your mom sounds like she parties. I, I, I wish I knew her name as well. If your mom is still with us, which I hope she is, I know it was an old story, have her call. I want to hear her confessional. Uh, if you didn't grow up or if you don't currently live in a part of the country that gets a lot of snow, it's, it may be tough to relate to, but sometimes the snow banks get so high from the snow plows that, I mean, they could be 20, 30 feet in the air, that they're so big, and the street just gets more and more narrow because they push the snow to the side. So what would normally be a conventional suburban street, it becomes a one-lane deal. And I have been in this situation before, with actually with my own mom, where one car, we, maybe you pull out of driveways, or maybe when you come from the other street, and you, you got a standoff, and you got to, well, you're both in the middle of the street. There's not an easy way for either one of you to back up. And you're like, back up. And they're like, no, you back up. And then you honk the horn and honk the horn. I remember vividly, my mom, I don't really agree with my mom's parenting choice in this situation. I was in the car and she said, can you go ask them to back up? And I was nervous as hell. I was probably nine or something. I don't know why mom didn't have to go ask her herself. 
But I had to get out and I walked up to the other car and, you know, I'm a kid, so they weren't terribly triggered. I said, can you please back up? And sure enough, you know what the guy said driving it? Why don't you go tell her to back up? And I, okay. And I go back into my mom. I said, mom, he says back up. And then thank God my mom says, no, you go back and say, yeah, back. No, it didn't happen that way. But like, I went right to the therapist's office. So I think eventually my mom backed up. It's a weird thing that happens in snow communities, especially in the suburbs, where it's like a blinking contest, or it's got just a dash of road rage in it with a frustration about how much snow there is. And you're all just kind of pissed off and you see it. And you're kind of driving towards them and you're like, they better stop and pull over. They better stop and turn off because I'm coming, I'm coming. And the other car's saying the same thing. Just try it. I dare you not to stop right now. I dare you not to put it in reverse. And then you pull bumper to bumper and eventually someone has to be reasonable. And in those situations when they're pissed and stressed and there's kids and snow and weather and they're late and they're like, that's how back in the day you wouldn't, but now you end up on Instagram in some crazy fist fight or in Bryn's mom's case, tackling someone in the snow. It doesn't surprise me. Stressful situation which someone has to say, you win, go ahead, I'll back up. I see it, I, I, I hear it. You got, um, I can see why you can confess that because you don't want anybody's mom tackling people in the snow, but I relate to that one. I relate to all the family confessionals. If you're ever feeling it, we don't even have to ask for it. If you're ever just, this holidays, you're alone, you're frustrated, you're drunk, whatever, call us, 252, the number four, and my last name, Brent. 2524 Brent. We check the machine, we'll find your message, we'll put it on if we relate to it or we think we can help. That's it, that's family confessional. And now we get to a guy who has a family of his own. His name is Michael Flynn, and he is the star in a segment that we call Brant Awareness. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Flynn, you got a whole gaggle of kids. It's holiday season. Did you relate to the family confessional segment? I very much related to Alicia in the family confessional segment. It's something that we have done for a long time because it's true. I feel like nobody has cash on themselves anymore and their kids, and I don't know about your kids, but my kids no idea how much money is in their piggy bank. So it's (laughs) not only a tooth fairy thing. It's you said tip the pizza guy. Like anytime you need cash, it's not going to be in my wallet. It's going to be in the kid's piggy bank and I'm just going to steal it from there. Maybe that makes me a bad guy. My nine-year-old Calvin, for his last birthday, like a year ago, he got a wallet. He's just the one of these like Velcro wallets with a shark on it or something. And you know, the kid will get like some birthday money or whatever, and he keeps it in there and he doesn't spend it. So there have been two different times when we have like Chinese food covering or something where I've gone into my kid's wallet for cash. I don't know what it is, but like obviously cash is becoming more obsolete. You just don't have it. But there's still those situations where you need it and maybe you can't sign a tip or just maybe like um you know if someone like let's say we ordered some furniture or just something and like these guys carry it in and they're like working really hard and i just want to give them 10 bucks or whatever i can't do that with my apple pay or something so i go into my son's wallet i get it 
Um, I know you get it. I go to you for a lot of things. In this case, I go to you for headlines. What have we missed in the show today? What's going on? Keep me aware. Let's uh, start with the 49ers. Adam Schefter reporting yep. Jimmy Garoppolo does not need foot surgery and that he could potentially return in seven to eight weeks. That would put a possible return right around the time of the division or conference championship game. Do you think we see Jimmy again this year? This is the tough part about Jimmy because I'm going to tell you how this is going to happen. Brock Purdy is, knowing Jimmy's luck, Brock Purdy is going to work. He's going to play well. He's not going to set the world on fire, but he's going to be a winning quarterback who throws the right pass and throws the right touchdowns. And they're going to get to the conference championship game, and Jimmy's going to get a clean bill of health. And he's like, I'm ready. And Shanahan's going to say, we're sticking with Brock Purdy. And Jimmy's like, what? What do I got to do to get a break in this league? What? Are you kidding me? A relevant boy is going to take my shot and go to the Super Bowl, go to my Super Bowl? That's how it's going to happen. It's The only breaks Jimmy gets are of his foot. <laughs> that sucks. Wait, where's my... Hold on. Let me say that again with the proper sound effect. The only... Wait. Wait. The only breaks that Jimmy Garoppolo gets are with his foot. Uh, I feel bad, bad for the guy because, you know, that's inevitable, right? It's inevitable. Like, Jimmy Garoppolo was going to get to the Super Bowl this year, maybe win the whole thing. And now, I don't care if it's Mr. Irrelevant or a guy who never played football in high school, college, or pros, and they sign him off the streets, and he's the 49ers quarterback. He's going to play well enough to keep Jimmy Garoppolo off the field. My heart almost broke when I heard out that Jimmy might be back for this season. Some people were saying, like, oh, that's great. Maybe he could come back in and, like, win the Super Bowl for him. That's not the deal with Jimmy. He gets bad luck. Now, he gets a ton of money. And he's certainly blessed uh, with his looks in many other ways. But the second I saw that he's going to be back, I'm like, well, Brock Purdy's going to be great. That just guaranteed it. It guaranteed the fact that Jimmy might be able to rejoin the Niners means that he won't be welcome to rejoin them in the starting offense when he gets back. I feel for the guy. Makes a lot of money. Aha, I get it. Nothing to be sad about. Kind of nice if he was out there in the field with the redemption story, but it's not going to happen, Flynn. I'm sorry. Brock Purdy is not going to take them all the way to the Super Bowl. It's just, it's just destiny. Thumbs the rules. I'm sorry. No apologies. Yeah, I think Jimmy just needs to find his way out of San Francisco and start fresh somewhere else where he can have a little bit better luck. Moving on, the annual Nickelodeon game will take place on Christmas Day this year. The NFL Nickmas game will feature a matchup between the Broncos and the Rams on CBS and will be accompanied by everything from SpongeBob tie-ins to holiday-themed slime and special effects. You a fan of the Nickelodeon right. game? Um, yeah, of course I am. Um, my... Uh... My close friend, Nate Burleson, calls the game. He does a fantastic job with it. This is a good thing. This is my take on this. You put on Broncos, Rams, and Nickelodeon, and Nickelodeon's like, oh, it's the worst game of all time. Exactly. No one cares about this game. It's not going to matter. It is going to be probably Russell Wilson versus Baker Mayfield, if you're interested in that. But if it's a, if it's a crappy game and it's on, you're going to watch football because you're going to have it on. You switch over to Nickelodeon. Why, why not just look at some SpongeBob and Patrick the Starfish and some slime in a different type of broadcast just for the entertainment's sake rather than sit there with the conventional broadcast team talking about a game you don't care about? I think I'd be more likely to check out Nickelodeon. Now, if it was a game that was like, oh, man, it's a 13-3 and team versus you know, 11-5, and I, I, I don't need the slime and stuff. This is a massive game with big implications. Give me Nance and Romo or whoever it is. But if it's a silly game between two teams that are irrelevant and have been for two months, eh, Nickelodeon. Plus, 
I don't think the kids who are the intended audience really give a crap that Russell Wilson's red zone numbers are down or that Baker Mayfield is on the last opportunity of his career. I think they want to see somebody, anybody, score and have fake green slime go on them. I think they actually think it goes on them in real life. It, it doesn't, of course, but I think it's actually a win for Nickelodeon. I think I would be less likely to watch the Nickelodeon broadcast if it was a really good game. I think the, the crappy game, and Broncos Rams is a crappy game, uh, I think I'd rather check out Nickelodeon just for the amusement's sake. You with me? I am. My question for you, do you think Russell Wilson's shtick uh, is enjoyed by the kids, or do you think they even can sense the cringiness in it? And, yeah. <laughs> well, listen, if Russell Wilson sc scores a touchdown in this game, I'm talking about a rushing touchdown. We'll see. It's a great test. And I bring your kids in front of the TV, and I'll bring mine, and Russ will do something, just something very Russ. And let's find out. Let's be the front lines of this, Flint, and let's let's make a vow that after that game, our next Kyle Brand's Basement show, we're going to come back and say, what did each of our children think of the Russell Wilson experience? And we'll just say, what do you think of that guy right there? What do you think? And we'll see what they say. Let's, let's write it down. Sounds good. December 26th. Mark it on the calendar. Yeah. Uh, finally, oh. speaking of late December, Vulture has released their list of the 45 best Christmas movies. At the top, It's a Wonderful Life, followed by Miracle on 34th Street. A Christmas Story is five, but weird placement elsewhere. Elf is 27. Love Actually is 30, Home Alone 31. My favorite is Christmas Vacation. It's not even on the list. Kyle, what are your favorite <laughs> Christmas movies? Christmas Vacation is my favorite Christmas movie. You and I have that in common. I saw it in the theater in 1989 with my dad and thought it was hilarious. I was 10 at the time. And, you know, some of the stuff is pretty blue in there in the way he talks and, like, his fantasies about the lingerie girl. And when I was a 10-year-old seeing that, I just love it. See, you can hardly see the line. Can't see the line, can you, Russ? Nope, that was me. I was Russ at the time. Um, so I love that. And uh, I said earlier in the show, my wife and I are doing a thing where every single night we watch a Christmas movie. Every night we, we decided this year, let's just ramp up the holiday cheer. And it's fun. There's so many available. You just scan and click and you try one. And if it sucks, who cares? You watch another one tomorrow night. And um, I don't know about the list. I don't really care about the bleeping list. List this, list this. All it is is a reason for us to get mad about things. Um, two things I will add. I know we asked about, um, we asked you guys what your favorite movies are that you love that everybody hates. I think we may get into that tomorrow. This is already like the longest Kyle Brand's basement of all time. So let me wrap it up quickly with two notes. I recently watched Jingle All the Way and I've never seen it before. I've never seen the Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, Jingle All the Way movie. I did not like it. It was just very loud very obnoxious, and I had my reasons. One, I don't like that era of Arnold's career where he was determined to get out of all the action stuff and do more family stuff, and it kind of worked in Kindergarten Cop, and then he did Jingle all the way, he did Junior, and he's like, I want to do I want to do the comedy, yes, and I'm like, well, Arnold, we like you kicking ass, just keep kicking ass. Get a big ass gun and shoot everybody. So I didn't like that part of it. It's very distracting if you're a Star Wars fan because the kid in the movie is Anakin Skywalker. A, that's distracting, B, what happened to that kid, Jake Lloyd, that actor is really dark and he's had a lot of legal problems and he was diagnosed with psychological problems and like it's gone a bad place. So you watch that and you're like, this isn't great. The other thing is Sinbad, who is a big part of the movie, he is having a lot of health problems right now. And like the, the best part of the movie was, was Phil Hartman to me. But my wife, Brooke, could not even watch the movie because she says this is too stressful and we've gone through this. We had a jingle all the way Christmas last year where my daughter was just 
every single day was almost in tears about how bad she wanted this Gabby's dollhouse thing and we couldn't find it and we tried every store and we even entertained like you know maybe on a Saturday there's this Target up there in who the hell knows in western New York that's a five hour drive maybe we just make a day out of it and go and drive a ten hour round trip like we were entertaining everything we had people around the country looking for us and we eventually did find it and I thought it was kind of a fun Christmassy thing but like my wife was very upset that you know, she's not going to believe that Santa came through for her. So watching that play out in a movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger screaming all the time, she was like, this is too stressful. It's not what I like Christmas movies. I know a lot of people like that movie. I don't like it. Um, Flynn, let me get you in here. We'll do the people's responses in tomorrow's show. I know you have a lot of thoughts on this. You're a big Christmas guy. I know you are. And you're in holiday here. Is there a movie, um, you said Christmas Vacation was your favorite. What's one that's part of the Christmas movie routine that people are into that you're just like i'm out on that movie mine's jingle all the way the what's funny i actually remember watching jingle all the way as a kid and liking it i kind of want to do the russell wilson experiment and show it to my kids and see how it holds up because i'm guessing it's not Mm -hmm. good uh i'm gonna go ahead and say the santa claus and maybe the santa claus trilogy that's something that came out while i was a kid that never it just didn't give me the feels that a christmas movie is supposed to give you it just was not my favorite um, Santa Claus was part of our, our, our festival this year. I had never seen the Santa Claus with Tim Allen. I just missed it. We watched it this year. A couple things jumped out. It's in 2022. There's just all this stuff about how fat he is, and like he's they're constantly like, "Wow, you got really fat!" And like he gains 40 pounds over it. It's just a lot of stuff about that which wouldn't fly now. But also, more importantly, like so much of the movie is about his parents not getting along and being divorced and like the santa claus is almost the second part of it it's constantly with these fighting parents and the other dad and if you come from a divorced family like i do like that's not a real cheery sentiment and judge reinhold is the other guy so it was almost like the santa claus story was second to the domestic strife story which again i I don't want that this time of year are you with me i am 100 percent with you not my favorite at all um, all right, well, listen, Flynn, let's get into more of this tomorrow. The people have great answers of the pe- Christmas movie that people love that they hate, but I'm going to end the show right now quickly. Let me throw a dart. Let me go to the sky cam. Flynn, we'll see you tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to throw a dart, and whatever number it hits, I'll do a corresponding topic. Let's see. I'm going to go right here, and the number is 11. we got 11 right there at 9 o'clock, so they have 20 topics up there to go, 20 numbers on the dartboard. And number 11 is, what was the first car you owned? Oh, that's easy. Um, I was a younger brother. Uh, My older sister was two years ahead of me, so typically you were able to driving age when you're uh, 16. So I was a sophomore and my sister was a senior and my sister was kind of a star, you know, student council, cheerleader. So she got a very, very, very cool car and she deserved it. And she got a green, like a forest green Jeep Wrangler. And if you remember in the 90s, that was a cool car to have. It was the Sahara edition green and tan Wrangler. And so she got it, but the joke was on her. Then she went to college and my parents were like, you're not bringing that car with me. So guess who got it to inherit the Jeep Wrangler when I turned into junior in high school? Me. And I had a Van Halen sticker on the back and I had a silver chair sticker on the back. And I had a 10 disc CD changer that went under the driver's seat in which you put 10 discs in. And it was a lot of Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill, a lot of, lot of Tool, Inema, um, Pearl Jam, uh, No Code, like all that. It was just the best. I had really great memories of it. And you keep the top down, even though it's 33 degrees in the north suburbs of Chicago. Great, great car. Even if, if you have a cool car, if you have a crappy car, you always remember your first.
Tomorrow, we'll do what was your first car? No, we'll do the Christmas movie thing. And we have all kinds of talk about tomorrow. I started the show today with Von Miller. Terrible news, terrible. The Bills um, will have to fight through it, and nothing comes easy. It's not been a simple season for them, and this won't help, but they'll get through it. Uh, and we will, too. We'll be back here in the basement tomorrow. Thank you. Love you. See you for the Thursday show. Take care.